It is so good to be here this morning. I want to thank our praise team that just led us in worship. They are from Faith Baptist in Festus, where Jason Walters is the youth pastor, which I think they are all in the youth group. Where are they? Are you guys? No, you're not in the youth group. But you, were you? You were. Okay. Well, I guess you were at one time. Anyway, glad you guys are here. Awesome. Great job. Um, we know Jason well, and we we miss him, actually. Um, saw him not too long ago, but um, glad you guys are here. Um, it is so good to be here this morning. Uh, I have uh, not been here at Canaan very much with, with preaching at the other campuses that, that are taking place. Just wanted to give you an update on what is happening with those. Uh, the, as you know, Webster Groves is a Canaan campus, so we now have two Canaan campuses, and it is already beginning to grow, so we are excited about what is taking place there. And then the Windsor, Windsor campus, that is Hoping, we're hoping that to be a Canaan campus, and the vote for that is going to take place around the end of May, 1st of June, and if that is God's will for, for them and for us, we will see. There's going to be a vote there, and then we'll have a vote here to, to see if this is where, where God is leading us. So exciting things are, are happening with that, and uh, just uh, let me encourage you to be a part of this. Okay, this is where God is working. This is what, what God is doing. And you have an opportunity to, to be a part of that. And I'm, I'm talking to all ages, okay? Right now, Webster Groves is a Canaan campus. So they are, we are all one, okay? And if you have not met those who are a part of, of that campus, there's been many of them have, have come to um, our, our Canaan Togethers in, in the past ones we've had, and they'll definitely be coming in the one coming up this month. Let me encourage you to, to make an effort to meet them, uh, introduce yourself, get to know them, and invest in that campus. I know some of you here are going to be, are saying, that's going to be my, my campus. In fact, there's already those that are up there that are a part of that right now. And you may be, God may be working in your heart and saying, hey, this is the campus I need to invest in. Or you may be, maybe that maybe once a month, you'll, you'll be a part of the ministries there or, or serve in whatever way is, is needed. Okay, let me encourage you to be a part of that. This is what God is doing. He's working. These are exciting times for Canaan, and we're just just pumped to see what he does and how he works. So God is working. Join him where he's working. Don't miss out on that, okay? If you've been kind of hesitant, check it out. Get into it and and see what what you can be a part of and see what God is doing. Um, Exciting things. Uh, also, I wanted to just let you know, right now, as, as Frank mentioned, the, the mission trip in Nepal, um, Daniel, Pastor Daniel, Pastor Martin, uh, Austin Metter, uh, Ephraim, who, Ephraim Conkey, who works with uh, uh, Pastor Martin doing BCA, Bethlehem Christian Academy, and then Jeremy Muncy, who is a pastor from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield. They are all on mission right now. They've been in Nepal. They're now traveling to India and going to be spending the most of the week in India. Austin Metter right now is he's in flight. He's flying from here. He left yesterday and he is airborne and and getting there. So we just want to keep that that team in our prayers. Pray for their families here at home. Uh, they're going to be gone a total for about two weeks. So uh, be lifting them up and, and pray for God God to use them in India this week. Probably going to be looks like there's going to be another BCA campus now in in India. So God's doing. And a lot of a lot of neat things there and, and amazing things taking place. 
All right, well, this morning, we are continuing our series called Lay Me Down. And as we get back to the, the book of 1 Corinthians, we've seen, we've seen Paul guiding the believers at the church in Corinth as they've been, been challenged with some issues they had within the church, as well as uh, just being challenged to live according to Christ in the culture that they lived in at that time. So we're going to be in in chapters 9 and 10. So if you would, take your Bibles. uh, Go ahead and get those. uh, Chapter 9 and 10 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, We're going to start with verse 24 of chapter 9 and then go through verse 5 of chapter 10. And just to let you know, you probably, if you grabbed a note sheet or you went online, you probably saw a, a blank area. This was not an accident, okay? This was by design. So it's... It's not wrong, it's just different, okay? I don't do everything the way that Daniel does, so this is open so that as God guides you and as you hear, you can make notes. So don't just think, oh, no notes, and I'm gonna put it away. Keep it out, make notes as the Holy Spirit works and guides you as we go through the message, okay? And you can do the same thing online. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter nine. Starting at verse 24. Would you go ahead and stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word? Paul writes to us Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self control in all things, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Would you pray with me? Holy God, as we have gathered as the body of Christ to worship you this morning and now to to proclaim your word, I just pray that you would move in this, that your spirit would move, make our hearts a tender, moldable God, ready to hear, ready to listen what you have to say and how you want to work. May everything this morning be for your glory and your praise as your word goes forth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. A marathon, 26.2 mile race that takes an average of four to five hours to complete. You hear about them all over the planet, um, but more well-known ones are New York, Boston, and London. I know some people here have have run a marathon. Um, April, are you up there? April, April Meckle ran in the St. Louis Marathon, is that correct? Okay, April 2nd and completed it, 26.2 miles. Um, I know uh, Kristen Martin ran in the Disney Marathon back in January, also completed that. Okay, just to repeat, that's 26.2 miles of constant running. So just to let you know that, okay? Um, 
Brandon Benefield, who was just up here giving you the announcements and some new information about our, he's our director of, of communications, does a fantastic job, by the way. Um, he has done five marathons. I know, that's nuts. He's crazy, okay? But just to think about that, you have to, to do this, you have to have, have training and discipline. And I wanna, if you look up at the screen, there's gonna be a picture. This is, this is Brandon's training schedule, okay? I'm sure, sure April had her training schedule, as did Kristen. This is Brandon's. If you look at this, you see it, it's, it's, this is for 19 weeks leading up to the actual marathon. And you can see um, Sunday and Monday there being in, in the blue. These are easier days for the anaerobic workout. You see Tuesday, they're, they're, they're in, in red. This is the harder track workout. Then you see a blue on Wednesday, which has a little longer run. You see Thursday, as it gets closer to the, the, the race, um, you see the time getting a little more. And then you have recovery, a little rest on Friday, and then on Saturday, you have some longer runs. And if you look at like week 12, there was a, don't see it. There was a spot on there where, where it was like in, in red and where it was a, a more intense workout. So, so everything here, everything here is, is designed. It has, it has a plan each week, each day as it progresses and you get closer and closer to the race until by week 19, you are ready to run, okay? I, I actually, April, I looked at some of your Facebook posts that you put after the run and, and you were saying how miles 17 through 24 were the hard, some of the harder ones, almost kicked your butt on that and it was difficult, but, but you go through a plan, you set this up and, and you, you complete it. Okay, I am sure that, that for April and Brandon, running the marathon was very hard. That was difficult. But the training is also hard. They spent weeks, months, getting their, their bodies in shape, ready to run 26.2 miles. Exercise, training, adjusting your diet of what you eat, when you eat, your sleep schedule. All of this is part of the discipline and the planning that goes into being able to run a marathon. People don't, when you see people running a marathon, they don't just get up one day and say, hey, let's go run, and then they run 26.2 miles. You know that's not going, going to happen. So it doesn't just happen all at once. It doesn't happen by doing nothing. There has to be a plan. The body has to be disciplined, kept under control in order to do 26.2 miles. Well, when you look at Paul's day, okay, when, when 1 Corinthians was written, sports and athletics were a big part of that culture, just like it is for us. So the example that Paul gives there at the end of chapter 29, he, he gives this, as he gives that, it's going to ring very true for them. They're going to, they're going to, the readers are going to be able to, to, um, uh, to, to connect with, with what he's talking about, about running a race, the dedication, the training, running to win. They're gonna know what that means and what that's about. So Paul makes direct connection here with running a physical race and living the life of a Christian. A life lived with a result that will last for eternity. In the verses before this, Paul had, Paul had laid out the rights of a Christ follower and he, and he had showed how he was willing to give up a lot of these rights in order for the gospel to go forward and for more to be saved. His sports analogy here shows intensity. It shows focus. 
He wasn't telling the Corinthians, hey, you have to be exactly like me. But he was letting them know they need to have the same self-denying attitude as they look forward to to Jesus being uh, glorified and serving him and sharing the gospel. Paul is focused. He has purpose. We see this in in verse 26. He, He says he's not running aimlessly. He's not boxing as one beating the air. To beat the air would be like, like you're shadow boxing or if you're actually fighting someone and you miss them. Okay, that's, that's beating the air. You try to attempt to make a hit and you miss. You miss your target and you don't accomplish what you intended. Uh, if you're running aimlessly, you have no plan. You have no purpose. You don't know where you're going. You really don't know when you'll get there. It's completely opposite of what, what we just talked about regarding a, mar- a marathon and, and the plan you go through for even 19 weeks getting ready for it. So Paul approaches his spiritual life the same way. He says he disciplined his body. He kept it under control, except he wasn't running a marathon. No, he's living for Christ. But he has to deal with a body that that struggles with, with temptation in a very fallen world that kept coming up against him. Same that every, every one of us, it's a believer here that struggles with, with temptation and sin and especially within our culture. Paul's goal was to glorify God, live for Christ, save those who God would work through, um, through working through Paul to reach with the gospel. And it's something that really every single one of us, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, that's the same ministry you have been called to. To grow in Christ, okay, to be discipled, to give God the glory, and to share the gospel. That God would use you to communicate the truth, the salvation of Jesus Christ, and how God has saved you. And if if, if Paul didn't do this, if he if he allowed himself to be to be um, influenced by by sin, and he started giving himself to those things, what's what happens? Well, he says in verse twenty seven, lest after preaching to others, I myself would be disqualified. What many uh, jump to in reading this verse is that uh, saying that Paul is referring to losing his salvation. But when you look at the context of these, these chapters here, that's not the case. What Paul is talking about is what, he ne- what needs to be done, how God wants to use him to reach the lost. Remember prepping for, for the marathon? Marathon. We showed the, the sheet that, that Brandon does for, for 19 weeks. What if around week four or five, when um, he's, you know, he's in the middle of this, this workout, he's got the plan, he knows what he's supposed to do, but then around week four, four or five, he says, you know what, I'm just going to walk this week. I'm not going to run, not going to do the heavy track workout. I'm just going gonna, gonna to walk. And, you know, he's got a, a, a plan for the food and everything he's supposed to eat and when. But he says, you know what? A good post-workout um, breakfast will be, let's go donuts today. That'd be good. And a good, good protein snack in the afternoon, Twinkies. That, that will work good. Okay? Or, or he says, instead of running today, I'm going to watch a marathon on TV. That will, that will cover it. What's going to happen? Race day is going to come. If he, if he continues to do this, race day is going to come, and pretty much he's going to be disqualified. He won't run the race. He won't, won't run well. He won't be ready. He'll come up short of his plan of what he wanted to accomplish. God, did, or Paul is saying, I don't want to be disqualified. 
I want God to use me as he's called me to in communicating the gospel. Sin, lack of discipline, poor habits, and unhealthy attitude, okay, all of these can cause him to be disqualified. So Paul sets up for the believers in Corinth what and who they need to be, and then he supports this with some very strong examples from the past history of the Hebrews, okay? And that's what he goes, goes into in verses one through five. He reminds them of what occurred with the Hebrew people as they were coming out of Egypt. God brought them out. He protected them. He provided for them. In verses one and two, we see it says a cloud. Uh, he provided a cloud by day and a p- pillar of fire in the sky by night. They were led and, and united by Moses under Moses' leadership as God instructed him. Verse three and four, God supernaturally provided food and water and, and specifically through, this is cool, this is the pre-incarnate, this is before Jesus was on earth as, as a man, the pre-incarnate son of God, Jesus the Christ. So they had all these blessings and, and God was, was taking care of all of this, their direction, their food, the water, everything. All they had to do is trust him. And yet God was not pleased with them because of their sin, their lack of faith, and their poor decisions. They were disqualified. Paul takes the next six verses and explains exactly why they were disqualified. Remember, as as we go through this, okay, as we go through this, all this ties back to running the race, running your, your, your Christian race, your spiritual walk, running the race so that you will receive a prize, not a perishable prize, but an imperishable one. Discipline yourself and run. The Israelites did not run well. Let's see why. Verse six says this. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Rose up to play means to, they were actually engaged in in sexual sin. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. So what Paul lays out here are four major sins that the Israelites lack self-discipline in and win against God. He's saying, Corinthian Christians, and all Christians, and this definitely includes us, you need to learn from this. That's why we have this. It's why it was written down. This was written for us. It's not just, hey, this is history. This is a story that took place. There's purpose here. We need to be be aware of what took place so that we're not overconfident, maybe overconfident as believers, and do the same. We need to be aware of, to avoid idolatry, sexual immorality, putting Christ to the test, and grumbling. Thousands lost their lives because of these choices they made, because of the sin they, they invested in, which led to God's wrath being poured out on them. Now, 
Why these four sins? Why did, why did Paul choose these specific four things? Well, when you look at the Old Testament and you look at the text, you see that these were areas they struggled. When you look at 1 Corinthians, which what we've already been through on these, these up to 10 chapters now, we see they were struggling with the same thing. Some, a lot of sexual immorality within the church. And we see that for us today, it is the exact same things that we deal with. These same things, we're, it's not like we can sit back and, oh, well, I, I don't deal with that. Every single one of us in our culture face these same things. And I think it was easy for the Corinthian church maybe to think, you know what, that was them. I wouldn't have made that choice. I wouldn't have been part of that group. I would have been a part of the group that, that didn't do that. But look at verse 12. Paul, I think anticipating that and maybe anticipating it from us, he says this. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Take heed. Open your eyes. The Hebrews had everything provided for them as they came out of captivity. They took God for granted as if it was all about them. There was a great misuse of, of freedom as well as overconfidence. Pride swelled up as they be, believed they did not need God. And Paul is warning the church to not make the same mistakes. You were chosen by God. Christ is Lord. Take this warning and recognize, pray to recognize and see your sin. See the temptation around you and seek to grow in the faith as God intends. So the Corinthians are encouraged in this endeavor in, in verse 13. Verse 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. If you've been at church for, for a long period of time or even a short period of time, you may be very familiar with these verses. We encouraged by, by this and thankful that when we're wrestling with temptation, we rejoice with the fact that, that this is what normal humanity faces. So that we're not, we're not facing something, whoa, what is this? No one's ever faced this before. But in Christ, we, we are able to, to face this, to overcome them. We claim the promise and God is faithful in keeping his promises. So we rejoice in that. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. There's hope. We can rejoice here knowing that sin is not going to overcome us, that that. that Christ has made a way for this to be taken care of. He will not let us be tempted beyond our ability. He promises to work in us and provide a way of escape so that we can endure it. Now notice, this is not on our ability on our own. This is Christ working through us. We can endure and we can do this. And he keeps his promises. And, and you know, for most of, the, most of my life growing up as a, as a believer, when I read that, I took it that point. And this is, this is true, that we're encouraged in that. But I also see, you know, there's a warning in these verses. It's not just encouragement, but it's a warning. Take heed. 
No temptation has overtaken you that is, that is not common to man. Therefore, you must persevere. You have to move forward. God is not letting you be, be tempted beyond your ability of what you can, you can handle in him. So in Christ, you must escape and you must endure. He has provided the way. We have no excuse. There is no excuse for our sin. We can't say, well, well it, it was just too hard. No, in Christ, nothing is too hard. Or we say, I'm going to, it's a habit. I keep falling into it. I'm going to fall again. We can't use that as an excuse or, or a reason to justify our sin. Because in Christ, he's provided a way to overcome. There are expectations and we have to look forward to that as we grow in Christ. And Paul does not just leave it there. In verse 14, he says, therefore... Okay, since this is true, and as a believer and a follower of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit working in us. He says, open your eyes. Don't be, don't be too confident in yourself. Don't be, be sure you're not disqualified here. Remember who you are, whose you are, who died for you, who, who is your strength, who is your power. Okay, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Paul is gonna take this into a, a specific area, but, but for us, Idolatry is anything that we would put in place of God in our life. Anything that we would focus on that, that gets us distracted from him and his call on us and what he wants to do. And the reason he, that Paul gives here in these next verses directly applies to any idol that you may have in your life. And individually, you, you can, God may be just bringing those to mind right now. You probably know what they are. If you're dealing with sin, if you're a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit is constantly working, pointing these things out. So 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 15, he says, I speak to you as sensible people, speaking to the Christians in Corinth and to us, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now what Paul is referring to here is partaking, taking part in the Lord's Supper. When he says the cup of blessing, okay, what that refers to is the third cup of Passover. When the Jews would take Passover, they go through the Passover meal, they would have four distinctive cups with, with four different meetings. The third cup was the cup of redemption. It was this cup that when the disciples and Jesus would have been in the upper room, they had met together to take part in the Passover meal. So they would have had the cups and that the third cup, the cup of redemption was the cup that Jesus used when he said, this is, this is my blood, which is shed for you. And so, so Paul is saying this, this cup of blessing, this third cup is, is, what is, aren't we, don't we all take part of this, this same thing? The bread that we break and the wine that we would drink is in remembrance of Jesus and, and what he did on the cross. The bread, as we know, symbolizing the, the broken body of Jesus, the wine that they would drink, the juice that we drink, okay, is the, uh, representing the blood of Jesus. It symbolizes that. And so we remember the sacrifice that happened on the cross. We are all united in that. When we do this, we are one body taking part in, this, in the Lord's Supper together, recognizing what he did for all of us as believer, believers. All Christians, to 
true followers of Christ have common forgiveness at the cross, you have common salvation, and you have eternal life. If you're a believer and you're sitting next to someone who's a believer, you guys have that in common. You were one. You were part of the same family. So, so what Paul is saying, aren't you united as one in Jesus as you partake in this since you've trusted in Jesus and he is Lord of your life? So Paul goes on to compare this then to the sacrifices that Israel offered to God where they identified with what was offered and confirmed their devotion to God. Because the sacrifice was offered to pay for their sins, so they're identifying with that sacrifice and that sacrifice, and they're they're confirming their devotion. God, I'm trusting in you. So in verse 18, Paul says this. Here's where he compares it. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. Paul actually actually talked about this also back in chapter eight. He says, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You may be thinking, who is drinking a cup to a demon? Okay, that was a part of this church. Here's what he's talking about. He's very clear. He's saying, look, there's no such thing as idols or real gods coming from idols. They don't have power. An idol is, is made of, of wood or, or metal, and it just sits there, and that's all it does. It has no power. There is only one God that, that is the one true God, and we worship him. He is the one who is real. But if someone is, we can say that this, this bottle of water, this is who we're going to worship this morning, it has no power, no power whatsoever. But if, if I bow down and I worship this bottle, if I give it my allegiance and I worship it, then I am making this God to be real, at least in my heart, and therefore I am, am worshiping something that at least represents demonic forces. It, it represents things that are, that are not of God and I'm engaging in something that's satanic because I am worshiping something that is not the true holy God. Therefore, believers cannot be participating in practices of idol worship in any form since this is inconsistent with what God desires. Okay, and, and to remember then, then if we have anything, anything in place of God in our life, that consumes our time or our money more than, than what we give to God and our allegiance just by choices. Maybe not what we say is, but by our choices in life, there's where our allegiance is. Then that becomes an idol. And that becomes demonic practice in our life because we are giving something worship more than trusting in our holy God. So this brings us back to looking at our rights as believers. Okay, remember, they were instructed to run the race to win and not be disqualified. Paul is willing to give up his rights so that to not be disqualified, and he encourages the same for the Christians in Corinth. Corinth. So, so we're kind of being challenged with the same thing here. Verse 23, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. 
So Paul's very clear. Here's the goal for them and for us. You have rights as a believer, as a follower of Christ, but they are not always the best rights. If you're taking notes, this would be a good thing to write down, okay? Priority. As you live for Christ, do not seek your own good, but the good of your neighbor. Love. Love others. Do whatever it takes to love them and want what is best for them. Paul's saying, in order to love my neighbor, I'm willing to give up rights I have as a believer in order to love them and to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ in that process. Paul wants to share the gospel more than anything else and for others to be discipled in the faith. So he gives us instruction on areas they were struggling with. Okay, this is what, what they were having to deal with in that culture at that time. This doesn't directly apply to us. The situation doesn't, but what we're talking about does. Eat what is sold in the market. Don't worry about where it came from. God created it, so it's good to eat. He's saying, look, you have the freedom to do this. It's fine, eat it. If you're in the market, there's food. Don't worry about, oh, I wonder if this was sacrificed to, to an idol. It's food, God has created it, just eat it, okay? What somebody else did to it or, or may have prayed to it, that, has, that does not affect you buying this and eating it. So, so eat it, you have the freedom. If an unbeliever invites you to dinner, Feel free to eat what they provide without asking questions. Because this person may be, they're an unbeliever, they may worship idols, so the food they're serving you may have been, been worshipped before they cooked it. Saying, eat it. It's not a big deal. Okay? I, God created the food. There's no power in an idol. They're not real idols. Go ahead and eat it. But... Here we go, okay? He says, Here, here's, here's where the freedom gets challenged. But if someone says, hey, what you're about to eat has been sacrificed to an idol, then he says, don't eat it. Not because you may be sinning by eating it, but since someone has said that and now it's public and you have the knowledge in front of them, if they see you eating it, they may then say, hey, look, Christians worship God, God, this one true God, and they worship idols because he's eating food that was offered to an idol. So in order to keep that person from, from falling, from struggling, or even maybe not becoming a believer, don't eat it so that they're not led astray. Today, we do not deal with sacrifices or, or idols, um, and we don't have to be concerned about food being offered like that. But we as Christians, we do have freedoms. We have freedoms that directly affect those around us because every single one of us have relationships with, with other believers as well as, as, as non-believers, people that are not Christians. We need to be, be building one another up, establishing relationships and, and sharing the gospel so that more can be saved. Okay, that's a priority for us. Whether we are enjoying our freedoms or giving them up, that needs to be the goal. So these areas of that, that we have that, let's just call them gray areas, okay? It's areas that we face today that, that the Bible doesn't give clear-cut guidelines, okay? Some of these areas might be tattoos, might be drinking alcohol, Maybe how we approach social media, 
You know, those three things, there's, there's probably different views right now. You may be very passionate about a view on, on any one of those. You may have strong thoughts or feelings about, about what you think of, about that. But these are called gray areas for a reason. Because on, on all of those, it's not clearly black and white in Scripture about how to approach these. And yet Paul wants all Christians to know what is clear. Okay, so he emphasizes, look, there are gray areas, but there is also, this is black and white. So, so look how he finishes up this chapter here. We're going to see this in verse 31. After telling them to run a race with purpose and with effort, and to, to not be like the Hebrews that came out of Egypt and got disqualified. After telling them not to engage in idolatry, immoral sex, te- testing Christ, and, and grumbling, and after reminding them that they're, they are one in Christ and Christ alone, and so do not, don't, do not mess around and engage with any type of evil or demonic activity or things that would put idol worship ahead of God, whatever that would look like. And after giving them examples of what it means to have liberty and being willing to give that up, okay, he does all of that. And then he says in verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. The hard thing about gray areas is that they're gray. They're not clear cut. They are not absolute. They allow us to flex. We can adjust with them. But where we cannot flex is very clear. Do all for the glory of God and give no offense in that process. Now, this does not mean that that we are always to be concerned about offending someone, but it does need that I need to be alert. I need to be conscientious, being sure that the choices I make, the things I say, the, the things I do, do not cause someone else to stumble and that we allow Christ to shine. Remember what Paul said in in chapter nine, uh, verse 22, he said this, to the weak, I have become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Romans 12, verse 18 says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. Please hear this, okay? This is, this is everything that, that chapter 10 comes down to. After Paul goes through all this and, and being willing to give up his rights and everything that he says, he says this. As a believer, as a follower of Christ, as, as one who has been redeemed, which means you have been paid for. You've been bought with the the death of Christ on the cross. And then the power of his resurrection being brought back to life. As a follower of Christ, every single breath you take, every single thing you do is to be done for the glory of God. So that if you're gonna flex on those things we said or anything else, It has to be according to God's word as best you can and bring glory to him. It's not freedom to sin. 
but it's freedom to, 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 to be free in living for him and loving others. Limiting, limiting your rights, humbling yourself, loving those who at times you may feel are even unlovable. That's what we need to be. That's where we need to be. That's what we need to do. All that more may come to know the transforming power of Christ and that God may receive the glory. This is what we train for. This is what makes life worth living as, as we move toward that goal of, of being more and more like Christ and sharing the gospel that more may be saved. Disciplined, focused, not distracted so much by what's around us, but we run the race, we win the prize, and we don't get disqualified. All for the glory of God. Would you pray with me?